You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 23, for July 27th, 2008. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and situations and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey there, Metamorphs. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. I am Chris Lester, your host, and this is going to be another short intro because I'm still getting packed for my move to California. I do want to give big thanks to my assistant producers, though. Bill Bowman, Scott Roche, and Paulette Jackson all helped to get this episode ready for primetime, and I'm hugely grateful for their assistance. This episode wouldn't have happened if not for them, so if you happen to see them, buy them a drink for me. Now then, let's get right into it. This is chapter 15 of Making the Cut. Here is the story so far. Brian Summers and his three wives, Fiona, Sasha, and Rebecca, are all preparing to raid the offices of Viscount Security Solutions, a corporate fortress where the vampire crime syndicate stores its secrets. They are assisted by Callie Linder, a runner gifted with supernatural luck, and Miriam Bakhtivar, an elder of the Psy Collective who is fed up with her people's mistreatment of their fellow Psy's and their failure to respond to the vampire threat. Miriam, Brian, and the others hope to capture information on the contents of a package that they tried and failed to keep the vampires from smuggling into the city. Meanwhile, after spending several days in each other's company, Danny Sharabi and Jared Tamlin have taken their relationship to a new level. At Danny's request, Jared took her back to his condo, where she learned that he was a widower. His wife had been killed by vampires in a botched attempt to subvert Jared to their service. After spending some time reminiscing about the good times in their life together, Jared's heart is eased, and Danny asks him to take her home in the morning. After some initial hesitation, Jared consents, and the two make love for the first time. In the afterglow, overwhelmed with the intimacy of their connection, Jared whispers, Oh God, Danny, I love you. Never leave me. And in that instant, Danny knows she will never want to. Chapter 15 Thursday, June 20th Rebecca woke up screaming. No! Daniel! She tried to sit up and quickly found that her pregnant belly made that harder than usual. She made it halfway and turned to prop herself up sideways on the bed, but her whole body was shaking, and she didn't get any further than that. She whipped her head around wildly, feeling like a trapped animal, pinned to the mattress by her own bloated body. Images of her surroundings spun dizzily around her. Small room, no windows, desk, chair, lamp. They blended with images of other things. Other places, possibly other times, but she couldn't make any sense of it. Inside her womb, her daughter Lila thrashed and protested, her half-formed mind shouting wordless thoughts at Rebecca and begging her to stop. The alien thoughts of the child inside her didn't help matters. A pair of slender arms wrapped around her from behind, holding her close. It's okay. A gentle voice told her from somewhere just behind her ear. It's all right, baby. You're safe now. A wave of comfort ran through her jumbled mind, inviting her frantic thoughts to calm themselves. She closed her eyes and held on to that telepathic suggestion, embracing it, letting it steady her. She let out a soft groan, and a lot of the tension went out of her along with it. Lila stopped kicking and turning, her simple thoughts quickly returning to a state of quiet contentment. It's okay, Sasha said again, running her hand protectively over Rebecca's belly. I'm here, Becca. You're gonna be all right. Sasha nestled into the spoon's position behind Rebecca, and her bare skin felt warm and comforting. Rebecca just lay there for a long while, saying nothing, while her thoughts tried to drag themselves back into some sense of order. When her thoughts were mostly clear again, Sasha stroked her hair and planted a kiss on the nape of her neck. Bad dream? Or a bad vision. Rebecca opened her eyes and stared at the wall of the secondary bedroom, furrowing her brow in concentration. 
She tried to remember what she had seen, but the images refused to come back to her. I don't know. Frustrated, she moved Sasha's arm away from her belly and swung her legs over the side of the bed, forcing herself to sit up. You said Daniel's name a minute ago. Rebecca nodded, listlessly. I don't know what that meant either, so don't bother asking. She felt a stab of surprise and hurt from Sasha, and she hung her head, embarrassed. I'm sorry. That was mean. Sasha came and sat beside her, putting an arm around her in a sideways hug. With her free hand, she traced her fingers down the side of Rebecca's face, gently turning her face towards Sasha's. Their lips met in a tender kiss, which spoke forgiveness to her more eloquently than words ever could. Rebecca opened her eyes to see Sasha looking straight into them. You've been distant, she said, her own blue eyes full of concern. Last night, when we were making love, you held your mind back from me. She touched Rebecca's cheek again. And not just then. You've been growing apart from us. Rebecca lowered her eyes. It's the baby. My hormones, they're all messed up. It's not just the baby. Something's been eating at you, and you're keeping it from the rest of us. She reached down and took Rebecca's hand. It will help if you talk about it. No. Rebecca said, shaking her head. You guys have enough to worry about. This has got nothing to do with you. That's not true. If it affects one of us, it affects all of us. That's how families work. She craned her head forward and tried to catch Rebecca's eye. Let me help, sweetie. Please? Rebecca sniffed and wiped at her eyes. She took a deep breath, then let it out again. Something's wrong with Daniel. You did see something then? No, and that's the problem. She looked up at the wall again. Sasha had hung a yew tree crucifix up there to help ward off vampires and spirits, she said, but Rebecca thought it was more to her than just a good luck charm. Rebecca was a Mariahist herself, so she had never really got the Ecclesiast thing about having the tree in every room. Even if she had, she didn't think it would be giving her much encouragement right now. Daniel hasn't been returning my calls. Not since the funeral. Sometimes Kevin or Nate will pick up the phone, but they'll always say Dee isn't there. When I try to ESP him, I can't find him anywhere. I get pictures of him from the past, but nothing of him now. She shook her head. That's never happened before, Sash. I'm scared. Sasha squeezed her hand. Okay, if ESP isn't working, let's try something else. Rebecca looked at her. Like what? Like Elder Bakhtavar. She's supposed to come over today to talk with us about the mission. Let's ask her to put it out on the mind links and find out what he's doing. Somebody in the hive must have seen him in the last three weeks, right? Rebecca nodded. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. She smiled through her tears and pulled Sasha into a tight hug. Thanks, Sasha. It's hard for me to talk about Daniel with the others. Fiona starts getting suspicious that I'm going to cheat on you guys, and Brian just feels guilty. Like he thinks he stole me from Daniel or something. I know. Look, Bex, it's okay if you still love Daniel. Even if he can't be with you, that's no reason for you to turn your feelings off. The time you had with him is something you can share with us in the Gestalt, and it enriches us all. She gave Rebecca a faint smile. Besides, I always knew you had more than enough love in you to go around. Rebecca returned the smile, then leaned in to kiss her again. Think we have time for a shower before Mistress Bakhtavar gets here? I'm still no good at washing my feet with this big fat belly out in front of me. Sasha ran her tongue over her lips and put a hand on Rebecca's inner thigh. Oh, I think we'll have time to pamper all sorts of hard-to-reach places. One prolonged and highly interesting shower later, Sasha emerged from the bathroom with Rebecca. She'd overestimated how much time they would have. As they entered the kitchen, she saw Brian, Fiona, and Miriam Bakhtavar all gathered around the table, well into the midst of their final mission plans. Breakfast was already waiting for them, and Sasha munched on eggs and whole-grain toast while she listened to the telepathic conversation between her husband, her wife, and the elder. Miriam had succeeded in pulling together all of the resources they needed, and tomorrow the operation would go down, one way or another. Miriam raised her mug to her lips, and Sasha felt a twinge of mild disappointment from her as she realized it was empty. Fiona spoke before the older woman had even set down the cup. 
Would you like me to brew another cup of tea for you, Elder? Her tone was excessively courteous, almost fawning. Sasha hid a grin behind her own cup of coffee. Fiona never spoke of her hero worship for Miriam Bakhtivar, and she had only rarely allowed Sasha deep enough into her mind to catch a glimpse of it. It made sense. Fiona had always wanted to be the best, and Miriam epitomized what an egoist was capable of. Hells, she'd kept her body in the prime of life for more than a century, using only the power of her mind. Fiona hadn't even figured out how to erase one of her freckles. Privately, Sasha suspected that Fiona also lusted for the beautiful elder, but if so, she wouldn't show those thoughts to anyone. That's quite all right, Fiona. You stay here and help Brian plot the escape route. I'm still quite capable of preparing a cup of tea for myself. Sasha thought she caught a whiff of disappointment from Fiona, but the redhead composed herself almost instantly and went back to helping Brian. As Miriam came over to the sink and began refilling the tea kettle, Sasha heard the elder's voice in her mind. Am I correct in presuming that you two would like a word with me? Sasha kept her facial expression neutral and took another drink. Yes, elder. One of our friends has gone missing. We were hoping that you might be able to ask the Hive whether anyone knows where he is. Perhaps. Tell me what you know. Rebecca quickly recounted the last time she had seen Daniel, as well as the troubles she had been having when she tried to use her ESP to find him. It may be nothing to worry about. Often the dramatic events in our lives can change our understanding of our own identity. If our perception of ourselves changes, that also changes the face we show to the world, and sometimes that makes it difficult for espers to find us. The death of your friends may have had such an effect on Daniel. If he is still grieving, that may also explain his desire for solitude. Maybe, but that doesn't sound like Daniel to me. After Del and Trace died, he was doing a lot better than I was. Could you check? Just to be safe? He works at Barnhart General. That's a Hive-owned hospital, so somebody must have seen him there. Miriam nodded slowly, then carried the kettle over to the stove to start it boiling. Very well. If it will help put your mind at ease, I shall ask. The elder bowed her head, and Sasha felt an odd tingling in the air as the older woman extended her power. Though she was best known for her powers of psychometabolism, Miriam was also a telepath of respectable power and exceptional skill. As an elder, she was more closely attuned to the network of subtle telepathic connections that bound the hive together, and Sasha felt her reach out and project her thoughts into that network, asking for the information that they needed. An answer must have come back almost immediately, because less than a minute later a small smile formed on Miriam's face. I've made contact with some of his co-workers. They said they would send back images in just a moment. Rebecca let out an audible sigh of relief. Ah yes, here we are. Let us see then what your friend Daniel is up to. She opened up the mind link to Sasha and Rebecca. The images began to flow up through the network, reaching all three of them at the same time. Miriam's smile vanished. Rebecca let out a choked cry. Sasha nearly fell out of her chair. Blood of Eli, what have you done, Daniel? My God, what have you done? All right, that's got it. Just hold still a little longer. Danny gritted her teeth and tried not to squirm as the forceps grabbed hold of something and then pulled it free from her body. A moment later, the doctor's bare hand touched the back of her neck and a cool wave of psychic healing energy closed the incision. The doctor set the forceps in a little tray next to the examining table. Danny looked down with mild curiosity at the subdermal implant that had, until now, shielded her body from the effects of the curse. There you are. Not too bad, was it? Not too. She ran her hand over the back of her neck, feeling only smooth, unblemished skin. It wasn't even tender. The doc was obviously skilled with his powers. What happens now? Well, your paperwork is finalized with the Magistrix, right? Danny nodded. I got the message from the Citadel last night. Good. That means your custom-tuned variant of the curse is already woven over your body. Think of it like a coating that's been sitting on top of you, with a suppression amulet forming a barrier between them. Now that the amulet is gone, the magic of the curse will start integrating itself with your body immediately. The process should be complete in 24 to 48 hours. Danny couldn't keep from smiling at that. That's great. I... She paused as a thought struck her. Oh, wait. Will I have to get the pseudo-curse removed first? The doctor shrugged. 
You should check with the wizard who made the spell, but I don't think it would be a problem. The curse is stronger than any human magic, so my guess is that it will simply displace the existing spell weave as it takes hold. You might experience some minor disruptions in your body's form, but they shouldn't last very long. All right. Danny got to her feet and bowed to him. Thank you, doctor. He returned the bow, then offered his hand to Danny. She clasped it, and he sent her a wave of acceptance and affirmation through the telepathic link. I'm always happy to see new women join the hive, but I think you're the first one I've heard who was a male in the hive first. I hope it works out for you. This could be the start of a great thing for the collective, if you succeed. She gripped his hand firmly and nodded. Well, it's not going to fail on my end. Thanks again, Doc. I'll see you at the next hive meeting. She left the doctor's office and went down to the lab to start her workday. A couple of hours later, she called Artax, who confirmed the doctor's guess. The pseudo-curse would be gradually replaced by the real one as it took hold, so she wouldn't have to change back to Daniel in the interim. She felt relieved at that. Jared had bought her an extension to the pseudo-curse spell so that he wouldn't have to spend even a day apart from her, and it would have been a serious letdown if she'd had to change back now. Danny looked at the clock and smiled. She couldn't feel the curse taking hold inside her, but she knew it was working. In 24 hours, Danny Sharabi would be here to stay. Miriam Bakhtivar broke the connection to the Teep network, and Rebecca fell back against the kitchen counter, her mind reeling. If she hadn't known any better, she would have suspected someone was playing a cruel game with her. How could all this have happened without her knowing about it? Daniel had often expressed his frustration with the Hive, but he had never mentioned the idea of actually becoming a woman in order to gain more acceptance. How could he do something this drastic without at least talking to her about it? Didn't she deserve that much, after everything they had shared? Brian and Fiona looked up from the table with questioning expressions. Sasha welcomed them into the mind link and showed them the memories they had just experienced. Brian looked almost as stunned as Rebecca felt, but Fiona just nodded thoughtfully to herself. Very clever. Unexpected, but clever. Rebecca stared at her. What are you saying, Fee? Sasha and Brian looked like they were wondering the same thing. Fiona looked up at her and matched her gaze without flinching. This is a good strategy for Daniel to take. She is using the Hive's pragmatism to her own advantage. Nothing she would have accomplished as a man could make her more valuable than what she has just done, assuming, of course, that she is able to go through with the challenges of pregnancy and motherhood. Rebecca smacked her hands down on the counter. You're a fine one to talk about motherhood, Fiona. It was your turn to get pregnant a month ago, and you still won't take off that damned birth control necklace. Why should Daniel have to do this when there are real women in the hive who aren't pulling their weight? Sasha gasped, but Rebecca ignored her. Fiona was on her feet, across the room, and leaning into Rebecca's face in less time than it took to blink. Look at me, Rebecca. Did you see that? No, you didn't. Do you think I could do that if I were like... This? She put a finger on Rebecca's stomach. Do you think I could stop an intruder? Or help defend the hive against vampires? Do you? Rebecca flinched. Sasha reached out toward Fiona, but the redhead held up a hand toward her without looking at her. Fiona straightened and lifted her chin. I earn my keep by protecting you and our daughter from harm. I cannot do that if I let myself become helpless. Daniel has no such excuse. There is nothing he could do for the Hive as a man that he cannot do equally well as a woman. Rebecca looked at her sullenly. Daniel is a good fighter too, you know. Fiona snorted. Daniel did well in combat class. That is hardly the same thing as being a warrior. She strode back to the table and sat down. I do not understand why this is bothering you, Rebecca. Daniel has rescued herself from irrelevance and self-pity. She is endeavoring to move on with her life. I would have thought you would be pleased. She raised an eyebrow. Unless his suffering fulfilled some emotional need inside of you. Is that what this is about, Rebecca? If he cannot be with you, he should spend the rest of his life pining for your company? Rebecca felt tears welling up in her eyes and opened her mouth to protest. But then Brian's voice echoed through the room like the crack of a whip. Fiona! Brian was on his feet now, glaring down at Fiona with his hands flat on the table. Fiona stared back at him, her green eyes burning with defiance. Rebecca and Sasha held their breath as the two stared each other down. 
If any thoughts passed between them in that silence, Rebecca couldn't hear them. It was Fiona who finally broke. She didn't look away from Brian, but she took a long breath and let it out, deliberately letting her body relax. Her face slid back into its usual impassive expression. Yes, Captain? Brian's frown deepened at that, but he straightened up and gave a slight nod toward the door. Take a walk, Lieutenant. Fiona looked at him a moment longer in silence. Then she got up, stood at attention, and saluted him. Yes, sir. Her voice betrayed nothing of her thoughts. Brian returned the salute, and Fiona held hers until he lowered his arm. She left the apartment without another word. Brian stared at the door after she left, his hands at his sides. Sasha leaned forward onto the counter and let out a ragged breath, then buried her face in her hands. Rebecca grabbed a tissue from the nearest box and used it to dab at her eyes and blow her nose. That was well handled, Captain Summers. The voice came from behind Rebecca, in the corner of the kitchen, and all of them jumped at the sound. Rebecca turned to see Mistress Bakhtivar leaning against the stove with her arms crossed. Had she been there the entire time? Rebecca supposed that she must have been, but as soon as the argument had started, it was like she had disappeared into the background. Must be an elder thing. Brian lowered his head and blushed. I'm sorry you had to see that, Elder. I... Rebecca sensed that he was about to defend Fiona, but then a cloud of fresh anger passed over his face and he fell silent, his lips settling into a thin, hard line. The Elder shrugged fractionally. Every family has arguments. I wonder, though, if perhaps I might have a word with her in private. Brian's eyes widened, and Rebecca was sure he was thinking the same thing she was. Since when did an elder need to ask permission to do anything? Of course, he said, bowing to her. If there's anything you can say to her that will help. We shall see. The older telepath started toward the door. Mistress? Mistress Bakhtivar looked back over her shoulder at Rebecca. Yes, child? Rebecca swallowed nervously. What do you think we should do about Daniel? The elder turned and came over to her. She reached out and took Rebecca's hand. From a strictly practical point of view, Fiona is correct. Daniel is likely to find much more acceptance in the hive this way. A fertile womb is the greatest gift she could offer for the survival of our people. Rebecca shook her head. But Daniel wouldn't do it. Not like this. Not so damn fast. Mistress, please, I know him better than anyone. There's something wrong here. I just know it. Mistress Bakhtivar looked into her eyes for a long moment, then gave a slow nod. Then you must do what you feel is right. Only remember that sometimes people do change, either because they choose to or because they feel they must if they are to survive. Rebecca lowered her eyes. Yes, mistress. The elder left without another word. Rebecca looked up at Sasha and Brian, feeling lost. It's your call, Bex. What do you want to do about this? Rebecca bit her lip and thought. I have to go talk to Daniel. I need her to explain why she did this. I get what Mistress Bakhtivar's saying, but I won't believe it until I can look in Dee's eyes and hear it from her straight. Brian nodded. We still need to get ready for tomorrow's op, but we can handle that without you. Sasha will go with you. Rebecca shook her head. It should just be me. Deal say things to me that he won't tell anyone else. We're not letting you go out there by yourself. If something is wrong with Daniel, it could be dangerous for you to be alone with hi- her. She reached under the sink and pulled out the snub-nosed revolver that they kept hidden there in a secret compartment. I'm no Fiona, but I'm still combat-rated, and I can call for help if we need it. Both of you be careful, Brian said, taking them in his arms. I couldn't stand it if anything happened to you. Rebecca held him close for a moment, then went to hunt for her shoes. Now you know how I feel about Daniel. Fiona ran up thirty flights of stairs and came out onto one of the tower's common areas, a broad terrace looking out from the south side of the building. Long boxes full of small trees and garden plants gave the place a little touch of serenity, in contrast to the busy city around it. She sat down on one of the concrete benches and leaned back against the wall of the building, breathing in the scent of flowers and listening to the gentle buzz of the insects. 
She couldn't hear anyone else coming, nor were they likely to, at this time on a weekday morning. She was alone for now. She closed her eyes and let her walls of self-control come down by just a few degrees. Quiet tears welled up and ran down her face, and she had to control her breathing carefully to keep from sobbing. She had hurt Rebecca deeply. There was no getting around that. She hadn't intended to. She had hoped that showing Rebecca the flaws in her logic would help her to accept Daniel's decision and move on, but the words that had come out of her mouth were so harsh and bitter that Fiona herself could hardly believe that she had said them. Sometimes she really didn't understand herself at all. Why do I do this? Why do I hurt the people I love the most? A thought floated up to her in response. Usually because they are the only ones close enough for us to hurt. Fiona froze. Elder? The door opened and Miriam Bakhtivar glided onto the terrace. Fiona hadn't sensed her coming, by sound or by smell, which she found both deeply impressive and deeply unnerving. I was hoping that I might have a word with you. Fiona lowered her eyes. Of course, Elder. If there is anything you require, I will of course be honored to assist you. Miriam smiled kindly and sat down on a bench facing Fiona's. Actually, I thought that perhaps I could help you. Instantly, Fiona felt another protective layer go up around her emotions. How so? The elder folded her hands in her lap. You have a rare gift among telepaths, Fiona. You are able to separate the facts of any situation from your feelings to consider matters impartially. It is this gift that makes you such a gifted manager for the hive's investments. You are able to distinguish between your own enthusiasm for a given company and its actual financial merits. Our portfolio's annual return has tripled since you took over its administration. Fiona felt an urge to smile at the praise and an equal urge to frown in suspicion at whatever Miriam was driving at. She suppressed both reactions and simply nodded once. Thank you, Elder. I'm glad you find my performance satisfactory. Miriam held up one finger, and Fiona immediately fell silent. Unfortunately, this gift seems to come with a price. While you are skilled at examining the facts apart from your emotions, you seem to have difficulty analyzing your emotions themselves. Fiona smiled humorlessly. The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The prophet Yermiyahu was very wise, but I fear that quoting scripture will bring little comfort to your cellmates when your anger causes you to lash out at them. Fiona looked away and tried not to grimace. I regret that I hurt Rebecca, but it was she who provoked that argument, not I. It is difficult not to take offense when she devalues the role I play in the cell. Miriam leaned forward in her seat. And why is that role in particular so important to you? You have many gifts to offer, Fiona. It is obvious that you love deeply and with intense loyalty. Why are you afraid of extending that love to children of your own? I am not afraid. It is a matter of practicality. This is a time of danger for the collective. It would be irrational for me to deny the cell the use of my egoist abilities when they might be needed at any moment. Except that the collective is always in danger. And if you should die before you've had an opportunity to pass on your abilities to the next generation, then they will be lost to us forever. Fiona considered that a moment, then nodded. You are right. Very well, then. I will authorize the hive to harvest some of my eggs for surrogate transplant, so that my abilities will not be lost. Miriam sighed and rubbed her temples. You would rather that your children be raised by another woman in another cell? We all belong to the hive. Better for them to be born in another cell than never to be born at all. Then you admit that you have no intentions of ever becoming a mother. Fiona clenched her jaw. I admit that I have no intention of becoming helpless as long as my family needs me to defend them. Miriam looked at her for a long moment, then nodded slowly. And why are you so afraid of being helpless? Forgive me, Elder, but I already told you that. My family needs me. No, Miriam said, cutting her off. Fiona looked at her in surprise. This is not about the other members of your breeding cell. 
They have other defenses beyond you, not least of them being Brian's electrokinesis. The cell could survive your pregnancy without being in exceptional danger. This goes deeper, Fiona, much deeper. I see walls inside you so thick and high that a balefire spell would barely leave a mark on them. Defenses like that do not take root without a very good reason. She leaned in closer to Fiona, and as she met her gaze, her expression softened. There is deep pain inside of you, Fiona, one that you have hidden from your friends, your lovers, perhaps even from yourself. I cannot see what it is, but it lies at the heart of your fear of being helpless. It is the one emotional influence that you cannot disassociate from your logic, because it's the only one that you refuse to acknowledge. Fiona stared at her blankly. I... I am sorry, Elder, but if there is something like you describe inside of me, I do not know what it is. Miriam rose to her feet and nodded once. Fiona quickly rose and bowed to her, wanting to show her respect. In that case, I would suggest that you consider doing some exploration behind those walls. I'm sure Sasha would be willing to help you. She headed for the door, then paused and looked back. Because if you do not, it is likely that you will continue to hurt the people you love and you will never understand why. Rebecca knocked on the door of Daniel's apartment and tried to settle the butterflies in her stomach. Beside her, Sasha sent her a wave of telepathic encouragement. The door opened a moment later and Nathan Levy nodded politely to them in greeting. Miss Brower? Miss King? How can I help you? Rebecca and Sasha exchanged a look. Um, hi, Nate. Is Dee here? I need to talk to... her. Nathan looked apologetic. I'm very sorry, but Danny isn't here right now. Have you tried reaching her at the lab? She hasn't been answering my calls. Ah. Nathan lowered his head for a moment, then raised it again. Well, Miss Brower, you're certainly welcome to leave a message for her. I'll be happy to give it to her the next time I see her. Rebecca frowned. When do you think that'll be? It's really important, Nathan. Nathan shrugged. I couldn't say. Danny's schedule has been pretty variable lately. I haven't seen her much for the last few days, but if you- Hold it. Nathan paused as Sasha's petite 160-centimeter frame abruptly slid into the gap between the door and the door jamb. She glared up into his face with her hands on her hips. Um, Miss King? You're hiding something. What is it? Nathan averted his eyes from hers. Miss King, if you could just step back outside. Can the butler act and look at me? She snapped, giving him a shove with one hand. He looked at her, probably more out of reflex than anything else, and Rebecca felt a wave of psychic energy as Sasha's telepathy pushed past Nathan's flimsy defenses. She locked eyes with him for a long, wordless moment. Then she released him, and he stumbled back, gasping. What was that for? He looked and sounded like a kicked puppy. I had to be sure it was really you I was talking to. You're not under any telepathic compulsion, as far as I can tell, so I can only assume that you're choosing to act like a prick. So you'd better start talking and do it fast, because I am a pixie's whisker away from ripping it out of your head myself. Now what's going on with Danny? Nathan slumped down in a nearby chair, looking dejected. She's moving out been spending every night at her boy toy Jared's place. Only time she comes back here is to pick up a load of her stuff. Rebecca came over and sat down next to him. Who is this Jared guy, Nate? Nate shrugged listlessly. Jared Tamlin, PhD. 33 years old, got his doctorate in psychology from Empire U in 1990, immediately accepted into the Metamore City Police Department, Central Investigation and Resource Division. Rebecca stared at him, and he shrugged again, a little self-consciously. I ran a background check on him when Danny started dating him. Can't be too careful, you know. So he's a cop? Sort of, yeah. I mean, he doesn't wear a badge, but he works for him. Rebecca frowned. Has he ever done anything shady? Any dirty cop secrets they might have covered up? The guy's so clean it could be a light bringer. I cracked into the internal affairs database and ran a search. He doesn't have so much as a parking ticket. Do you know where he lives? Nathan hesitated. Come on, please, Nate. She begged, taking his hand and gripping it tightly. Danny's in danger. Maybe not from Jared, but something is wrong, and she needs my help. 
I just need to find her and talk to her. She looked straight into his eyes, desperately hoping that he could see in her expression how much she still cared about Daniel. Please? Nathan closed his eyes, sighed, and nodded. All right, I've got his address on file. I'll print up some directions for you. Rebecca almost cried in relief. Thank you. They followed Nathan into his bedroom, where he immediately set to work calling up the file. Rebecca looked around in surprise at the bare walls and ceiling. Hey, what happened to all your girly pics? Nathan shrugged. Well, you know, I just realized it was disrespectful. I'm 23 years old now. It was time to grow up. Sasha cast an eye toward the clock as they climbed into the skimmer. Where to now? Danny should still be at the lab. Do you want to try and catch her there? Rebecca considered it, then shook her head. No, whatever's happening to her isn't happening at work. Let's go check out where this guy lives. I want to see if I can channel anything about the place while nobody's home. Jared Tamlin's condo lay several kilometers north of them, and the worst of Metamore City's early afternoon traffic stood between them and their destination. It was nearly three o'clock before they pulled into the visitor section of the parking garage. Rebecca got out of the skimmer warily, her ESP on high alert. She exchanged a glance with Sasha, and at her nod, they raised their telepathic shields. They wouldn't be able to hear the thoughts of anyone coming, but their own thoughts would be that much less noticeable. Just as importantly, the shields wouldn't prevent Rebecca from using her ESP, which relied on a different form of psionic energy. Clairvoyance in a danger sense could be just as useful as telepathy for avoiding trouble. Sometimes more so. They rode the lift up to Jared's level and found his condo without any trouble. The security pad next to the door would block any mundane intruder, but Rebecca had something different in mind. She pointed to her eyes, then to Sasha, then to the hallway in either direction. Sasha nodded and moved into a convenient lookout position, while Rebecca went over to the door and put her hand up against it. Closing her eyes, she extended her clairvoyance, letting her viewpoint slip out of her body and into the room beyond. Rebecca's consciousness coalesced into an astral form, an insubstantial body that was visible only to her and any fellow astral travelers that she might happen to run into. She spent several minutes exploring the condo, taking note of the furnishings. So he's got money, but he's not stuck up about it. Huh. She poked her head into closets and drawers, examining their contents. She couldn't move anything, but solid walls were no barrier to her either. Focusing through large piles of stuff was tricky, but anything that would be readily visible to somebody opening a drawer was accessible to her as well. Boxes of Danny's things were shoved into corners and under tables, anywhere they could possibly fit. Several women's outfits hung in the bedroom's walk-in closet, so apparently Danny had been doing some shopping. Rebecca spotted Daniel's sonic toothbrush in the upstairs bathroom, and the sight gave her a familiar pang of nostalgia and loss. She really has moved in. Coming back out into the bedroom, she studied the pictures on the walls, as well as a few bare spots where pictures had recently been taken down. She examined the files on the desk, but they were written in fluent scientist, and her metaphorical eyes glazed over within seconds. She didn't see anything that would hint at any sort of evil plan to capture Danny. Not that she really expected to, but she could always hope. Sighing, she turned her attention to the bed, which was the focusing point for all of the residual emotional energy that circulated in the room. She grabbed hold of that energy and tried to gather it inside her mind, to catch a glimpse of the events that had happened here. This was tricky, combining her clairvoyance with the use of psychometry to look into the past, Most of the time, she only used one or the other. She could dimly feel the strain on her brain and body as she stretched her perceptions back through time, but she gritted her teeth and forged ahead, or, more accurately, backward. It came as no surprise to her that most of what had happened in the room lately was sex. A lot of sex. A lot of very athletic sex, which was something that Rebecca had missed since Lila started growing inside her. She felt vaguely envious of the beautiful woman with the mocha-brown skin who kept rising to one shuddering climax after another, night after night, until she abruptly remembered that the woman in her vision was Danny, and that the man she was with was the mysterious Jared. Rebecca scanned backward through the days and weeks, looking for the day when all of this had started, 
At last, she saw the night when Danny had sat on the edge of the bed with Jared and talked about his dead wife and the time of passion that followed. It took her by surprise when Jared tried to talk Danny out of it, but he gave in quickly enough that she realized his heart wasn't in it. He did want to be with Danny, and in the tender moment they shared after their lovemaking, his words echoed through Rebecca's mind. Danny? Oh God, Danny, I love you. Never leave me. Never leave me. Then Danny relaxed against him, unconsciously holding him tighter. A contented smile came over her face, and in that moment Rebecca realized what had happened. She didn't know how it had happened, but she had a good hunch about how the effects played out. Fiona would have called it a wild guess, but Rebecca had learned to trust her hunches. She just hoped that she would have the chance to do something about it. She shifted her perspective back to her own body and the present moment. Gesturing to Sasha, she led the way back to the lift. She put a finger to her lips to tell Sasha to stay quiet until they were back in the garage and inside their parked skimmer. Let's go. Head for the hospital. Sasha frowned, but she put on the control headset and spooled up the drive turbines. What's up? She asked as she pulled out of the garage and onto the skyway. What did you see in there? Enough to know that we don't want to be here when Jared gets home. The good news is that I don't think he's a bad guy. The bad news is, I think he did something to Danny without knowing that he did it. She paused as a thought struck her. Nate, too, probably, now that I think about it. What do you think he did? Rebecca grimaced. I think people do what he wants them to. So, what? He's a teep who can only use his powers subconsciously? She shook her head. This isn't telepathy. You said yourself that Nate's mind didn't look like it had been messed with. I think maybe this goes deeper. Sasha stole a glance away from the road to look at Rebecca. She looked half incredulous and half terrified. Rebecca felt her scanning her surface thoughts, trying to verify if she was really saying what Sasha thought she was saying. She was, and Sasha didn't look encouraged by it. That's not possible. Rebecca bit her lip and fought back her own rising fear. That's what they used to say about us. The hospital was not far from Jared's condo, and they made it there shortly after four o'clock. Rebecca led the way up to the laboratory where Danny worked. They heard the sounds of conversation from halfway down the hall, a clear and pleasant-sounding tenor voice alternating with a cheerful, giggling alto. <laughs> Come on, it's only twenty minutes. No one's going to miss you. Hells, the doctors are probably all gone by now anyway. The woman murred happily, and Rebecca heard the sound of a kiss. You are a bad influence on me. Now go stand over there and stop getting in my work or I'll never be finished. Rebecca ducked into an adjacent room and Sasha followed silently. Stretching out her senses, she cast her clairvoyance toward the laboratory. Danny was standing at one of the large, heavy, expensive-looking pieces of test equipment, checking the displays while it did whatever it was supposed to be doing. Jared sat on a nearby stool and watched her with the kind of guileless joy that only someone who was truly in love could muster. Rebecca felt a pang of regret, which Sasha apparently picked up on. What is it? Rebecca pulled back from the vision and shook her head. Just having second thoughts. He seems like a really nice guy, and she looks so happy. Sasha frowned. Okay, sure. But if he's doing to her what you think he's doing, then of course she looks happy. She doesn't have a choice. A chill ran down Rebecca's spine as she thought about that. Yeah, I know. Still, it's not like it's really his fault. If your hunch is right. For all we know, he might have made a pact with Lady Suspira to become irresistible to women. You can't assume he's innocent when something this big is involved. Rebecca nodded reluctantly and went back to peeping on the lab next door. Jared and Danny chatted idly while she finished her tests, clearly just enjoying each other's company. It reminded Rebecca of the evenings back in college when she and Daniel would talk while they made dinner or cleaned the apartment. They would bitch about homework assignments or trade bits of university gossip or debate the relative merits of books they had read or movies they had seen. Rebecca missed those conversations. Though she and Daniel had kept in regular contact since she joined Brian's cell, their phone calls and instant messaging chats had grown more strained as her pregnancy advanced. 
In the three months before the deaths of Dell and Trace, the only times she had seen him in person were at the monthly Hive meetings. The truth is, I lost Daniel a long time ago. Not that she regretted joining Brian's cell. She loved him, and Fiona, and Sasha, and their shared home together had given her a sense of belonging that she hadn't felt during her university years with Daniel. But she wished that there were a way for her to be with Daniel, too, one that didn't involve having an affair outside the breeding cell. There were some things you just didn't do, no matter how much you might want them. In the next room, Danny had moved to her computer and was checking on the data coming in from the machine. Okay, this looks promising. Go ahead and pull up the skimmer. I'll meet you at the door in five. Jared came over to her chair at the computer desk and planted a kiss on her forehead. Your wish is my command, he said, and headed out of the lab. Wait for it. Projecting her clairvoyance down the hall, she watched until Jared entered the lift that would take him down to the parking structure. As soon as the doors closed, she came out of her hiding place and went straight for the lab. Danny cocked her head at the sound of Rebecca's approaching footsteps. You forget something, baby? Rebecca swallowed back the lump in her throat and crossed her arms. I might ask you the same thing. Danny spun around and stared at her. A rapid barrage of emotions flickered over her face. Surprise, joy, grief, anger, guilt, suspicion. One replacing another almost too fast to see. Rebecca, what are you doing here? Trying to save you from something really, really dangerous. I'll explain everything, but right now we have to get you out of here. Danny sprung to her feet, looking alarmed. One of your visions? Rebecca waggled her hand in a sort of gesture. Let's just say I have a really bad feeling about this. Danny nodded. Good enough for me, she said, grabbing her purse and locking her computer. Come on, we need to catch up to Jared. If there's trouble coming, I'm not letting anything happen to him. Rebecca caught her by the wrist as she headed for the door. Wait! Danny made an exasperated sound. Make up your mind, Bex. Is there trouble or isn't there? Rebecca winced. There is. But Jared's not the one in danger. She swallowed again and felt the lump high in her throat. He's sort of the one causing it. Danny stared at her for two full seconds in astonishment. Then her expression changed, turning cool and quiet and very definitely hostile. She pulled her wrist out of Rebecca's hand with a quick, jerking motion. You're wrong. Jared is a good man. I'm not saying he isn't, Rebecca said quickly, holding up her hands in front of her. But he's done something to you whether he knows it or not. You've changed, Dee, and not just the obvious stuff either. It's scaring me. Oh, for profit's sake. Danny muttered, turning her back on her. I'm serious, Daniel. No! Danny was up in her face again in an instant, grabbing her by the shoulders. You do not get to call me that anymore. Rebecca cringed. Okay, okay, fine. It's Danny. Fine. Danny loosened her grip and stared at Rebecca, her beautiful eyes still burning with blue-white anger. She took a breath and let it out before she spoke again. You think it didn't occur to me to be scared at how fast I changed? I know I'm different, Bex. I didn't need you to tell me that. I went to the best wizard in town and had him run me through his test to make sure nobody is fucking with my head. And you know what he told me? Rebecca suspected that she did, but she shook her head anyway. All those changes in my personality came from here. She pointed at her own heart. This is me, Bex. I did this to me. If I'm different, it's because I wanted to be different. Rebecca looked up at her, her heart sinking. But what if he's wrong? Suppose, just suppose, that maybe there's somebody out there that can change what you want. Maybe without even knowing he's doing it. Danny shook her head emphatically. Artex says it can't be done. Sorry, Bex, but you're looking for monsters where there aren't any. She turned away and walked out of the lab. Rebecca followed her. So come with us and let's prove it! We've got one of the elders back at the nest. I'm sure they'll be able to think of a way to test it and make sure that it's really you that's doing this. Wouldn't you rather know for sure? Danny stopped halfway to the lift. She turned around and walked slowly toward Rebecca, her expression unreadable. For a moment, Rebecca started to hope that maybe she had gotten through to her. No. Rebecca blinked, stunned. But Danny... The way I feel is the way I feel. 
Look at me. I'm beautiful. I feel good about myself. I'm in love with a great guy. I'm happy, Rebecca. Gods, do you have any idea how long it's been since I could say that? Rebecca lowered her eyes. Look at me. Reluctantly, Rebecca did so. She could see tears welling up in Danny's eyes. I'm happy. I haven't felt this way since the day I knew you'd have to leave me. I want you to be happy for me the way I've been happy for you in your new life. And instead, all you can do is stand there and tell me that I'm bent and broken and wrong because I feel this way. Oh, Danny's happy. Somebody must have screwed with her head because Prophet knows that that's not allowed. Heaven forbid that there be any happiness in the world for her that doesn't involve her one true love, Rebecca Brower. Her face twisted into a snarl. Well, fuck that and fuck you. I refuse to be miserable to justify your place in the center of the universe. And if somebody made me feel this way, I will go down on my knees and suck his cock in gratitude because this is a hell of a lot better than the way you've made me feel for the last fucking year. Rebecca backed away, one step after another. She couldn't speak, couldn't think, couldn't breathe. She hadn't seen this coming. Danny just stood there in the hallway and stared her down as she retreated. Your boyfriend is dead, Rebecca Brower. You killed him the day you left, you backstabbing bitch. She spread her arms wide. I am the phoenix that rose from his ashes, and I am alive. And if you don't like what I've become, then fuck you, because you've got nobody to blame but yourself. Rebecca stumbled and fell on her ass, (laughs) sobbing. Danny turned away, walked to the lift tube, and went inside. She didn't look back even once. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. Will Ross here, and I want to talk to you all about 118 Migration, the new horror audio drama from the guys who brought you Smart Bomb Radio. Well, not so much tell you as show you. Outside the house, the dark thing slammed against the front door, screaming at her, growling and snapping. She laughed at his rage, long and deep and mocking. Check it out at 118.libsyn.com or search for us on iTunes. Hi, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. Oh, not the iPod again. Mac, what are you listening to? Huh? Oh, I found this really cool podcast called Jake Sampson Monster Hunter. This is so cool. Oh, and let me guess. It's only available on that iTunes thing, right? Well, actually, PC. I know, I know. There's a version of iTunes for me, too. But I'm sorry. I just don't... No, PC, wait. You don't need iTunes to listen to Jake Sampson. I don't? No. And before you ask, you don't need an iPod, either. Really? No. In fact, you can hear Jake Sampson directly from their website at BrokenSea.com. Wow. Wait a minute. Are you going to make me install that Firefox thing again? No, no, no. It should work fine in any browser and on any operating system. Hmm. i got to remember to tell Linux that. She already knows. In fact, she's running the server that hosts BrokenSea.com. Jake Sampson, Grog and Griffin, Feedback, Modelin, Planet of the Apes, Doctor Who, all of it over at BrokenSea.com. Wow. Oh, one last question. What's up? Will it work on my Zoom? <laughs> Let's find out. Hi, I'm Eldon KR of the Bant Rover Cigarette Blogcast podcast. If you have any interest in the things that interest me or concern me, as well as any of the strange things I find happening in the news, then feel free to check me out. I also do the occasional interview with podcasters, and when I get around to it, I do some movie reviews as well. So if that sounds like something you want to check out, please go to boacblogcast.wordpress.com. But right now, you're listening to Chris Lester's Making the Cut on the Metamorphosity Podcast. And we're back. Yes, ladies and gents, you've just been cliffhangered. What's happened to Danny? And does Rebecca have any hope of helping her? You'll find out when we come back from the hiatus, which I'm currently planning for September 7th. 
If that changes, I'll let you know. Now, we've got a lot of good feedback for the last couple of chapters, so let's get into it. Hey, Chris. I am calling to tell you that I really love your podcast. I started listening just a little while ago. Um, it wasn't too long ago. Um, I don't know. So I'm still kind of confused about some parts, but I really love your characters and the storyline and the plot. I mean, it's just it's just really great, and I'm definitely going to keep listening. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Bye. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying the show. If you're still confused about some of the details of the world and the characters, I encourage you to check out the website at www.metamorcity.com. The About Metamore City link at the top of the page will take you to several informative pages about the world, and the Characters page will tell you more about the people you've encountered or heard people talk about on the show. Plus, of course, there are the podcast episodes themselves. If you haven't listened all the way from Episode 1, I recommend that you go back and catch up because those earlier stories help to set the foundation for understanding what's going on in making the cut. Hi, Chris. This is David from the Millionaire Bust Podcast. I have to say that episode 22 was fantastic. I was a little bit leery about uh, the sex scene because usually I don't really like the sex scenes most people throw in the stories just because they feel like they're a little bit gratuitous. It feels like they're just thrown in there to add a little spice and they don't really do anything to move the story forward, but... I don't think that's the case here in this story. I feel like there was a purpose to having this sex scene in there, and it actually served to tell me a little bit more about the environment and give me a little bit better understanding of how these characters would interact, both because of the way the curse affected the situation and also with how the telepathy uh, affected their relations as well, because it's just things that I hadn't thought about, about how sexual relations would be different if you were a telepath and if you were with a telepath. So I thought that was really interesting. And plus, the scene was really, really put together and acted out very well. So it was a very powerful scene, and I just want to say, good job. It really had me enjoying that, and I really didn't think I was going to. So keep up the great work, and come out with episode 23 soon. Thanks again. I'm really loving the show. Chris, this is Steve Ely. Uh, Making the Cut, Chapter 14. Best sex scene I have ever heard in a podcast. And that's saying something. First time I ever regretted listening while driving. That's all. High praise indeed. Thank you very much for calling in, David and Steve. As I'm sure you could tell, I was nervous about that episode, and getting this kind of feedback reassures me that I was on the right track. And for those of you who don't know who Steve Ely is, head on over to escapepod.org. You'll find one of the best science fiction podcasts on the web, and Steve is the man who makes it happen. Hello, Chris. Conundrum calling. I'm a long-time listener to Metamore and enjoy it a great deal. T. Morris is right. You have raised the bar. Production values, music, and voices are all top-notch. I like how the culture of the Psy Collective and its flaws have been portrayed in the larger fabric of Metamore. I think Nobilis hit the mark squarely when he spoke about character believability and plot twists. I'm looking forward to seeing how the story unfolds, plot twists and all. As to the scene in Chapter 14, I thought it was very well done. Storytelling was graceful and considered. It involved two developed and informed adult characters in a consensual setting, not two-dimensional cutouts, and not crass in the least. The voice acting and music were a terrific balance. Granted, I do have to check the AC in my office, but I look forward to sharing this with my lady wife. Anyway, bravo. I understand that we're coming up to the break. And as good as Making the Cut is, I'm looking forward to hearing the short stories that you have planned for the interval. Anyway, I hope that you have a great trip, and good luck in August. I'll be listening. Thank you, Conundrum. My trip is well underway by the time you hear this. I'm going to be in Phoenix on Tuesday and Wednesday, and if all goes according to plan, I'll be visiting the Farpoint Media Studios to record for Cover to Cover and the Babylon Podcast. I'll add those episodes to the feed when they go live. If you want to follow my journey, you can do so at chrislester.org. I'm going to do my best to keep a record of what's going on during my grand cross-country adventure. You can also follow me on Twitter, where I'll be posting regular updates while I'm on the road. 
The URL for that is twitter.com slash E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S, Ethereus. That'll do it for the voicemail. There were also a lot of comments on the blog this week. You can read those at metamorcity.com. I was also interviewed by T. Morris for the Survival Guide to Writing Fantasy, and he put me in the hot seat for a detailed discussion of Chapter 14. That should be posting soon, if it hasn't already, and I'll be sure to add it to the feed. If you want to send in feedback of your own, the voicemail number is 206-350-7333. You can also email your comments in text or audio to feedback at metamorcity.com. You can post them on the blog, or you can participate in the discussion forums over at thecursed.org. All right, folks, that's it for episode 23. As I said, we're going on hiatus for August, but I'm going to do my best to send you guys at least a little something during the break. It might not have a lot of fancy music or special effects, but I want to at least get you guys some new content as reward for your patience. Until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Additional music was provided by Michael Masley at magnitude.com. Magnitude.com, they are not evil. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.com. .upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. <laughs>